Well, let's get in the word together. We're going to be doing part two of the building of the church, a temple where worshipers gather. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I just want to read four verses, pray, and then we'll get into it. So in Ephesians 2.19, it says there, therefore, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're going to be talking about the building of the church as a home in our next couple studies. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, that is in Christ, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, again, we're thankful for your word. We know, Lord, that it is a spiritual interaction taking place where your word, man shall not live by bread alone, physically, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We are built up in your word. In our most holy faith through your word. So, Lord, I ask this morning for a fresh blessing over the things that I've prepared. Lord, that you would take and break them fresh and feed your people this morning. That we might receive the engrafted word by which we might grow. Give us ears to hear. Not just to hear some information. But, Lord, to put these things that you minister to us. Usually it's one or two things that something strikes. Lord, we want to intentionally right now. Devote ourselves to being obedient children. Please, bless the word now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. A.W. Tozer asked the question, what is worship? Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe, an astonished wonder, an overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient capital M mystery, that capital N majesty, which philosophers call the first cause, but what we call our Father, which art in heaven. J.I. Packer, another favorite one of mine, said this, quote, to worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward, and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end and from one point of view the whole duty of man. The temple is a place where worshipers gather. All week long since our last service, my, so my heart has been singing this song. And when before the throne I stand, it, I, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. I think of the end when we're going to stand before the Lord. 
Is that not going to be the most incredible, incredible thing that we can even begin? We can't even fathom what that's going to be like. And, and we look at that. And I believe that in the hearts of God's people, there is a picture of what worship is. God gives us his word. But how do you picture worship? Do you picture yourself with hands outstretched? In fact, there's a very popular now silhouette figure of a man standing on a hill. And it just is a picture. What's in your mind when you think of worship? And worshiping God. See, the temple is a place where worshipers gather. Now, the building that we're talking about is the function of action, the building of adoration, the building of sanctification, the building. It's what God is wanting to do in our lives as his people. We are the church. We're the noun, if you will. But the building is what God's doing in sanctifying our lives to his glory. So as we looked at last week, we're praying, I'm praying, that as we go through these studies, it will we'll put our thinking into action. Can I hear an amen? We'll be intentional about the things that we're hearing because it doesn't just happen, as I shared in our communion time. Work out your own salvation for it's God who's working in you. There's a partnership taking place. So when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, there's a needed response to the word. In fact, in Isaiah where it says, his word shall not return void. Many people say that saying, you know, if we just hear the word, it's not going to return void. Well, that's context of the passage. It's needing a response of the heart. Because your heart can still bring forth thorns and briars. But if we wanted to bring forth things that are good and edifying, we have to be intentional about our desire before God to obey him and put into action the things that he is speaking to us about. Brother Lawrence, who has the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, said this, quote, to do not be discouraged by the resistance of your, you, by the resistance you will encounter from your human nature. You must go against your human inclinations. Often in the beginning, you will think that you're wasting time. But you must go on, be determined to persevere, unquote. Now, Romans says perseverance produces character. To persevere is to continue steadfastly in some state, purpose, or course of action, especially when there's opposition. Really, probably when there is opposition. That's when we need to persevere. Now, I wondered if it would be a correct sign over the door of our hearts, we wrestle not. We wrestle not. Brothers and sisters, may I encourage you, by the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, may God help us to wrestle against these things that are contrary to the sanctification of our lives as worshipers of God. How? It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the perseverance of the saint. Perseverance taxes, I find, my physical frame. It wears on my nerves sometimes. My flesh certainly doesn't like it. I have to involve myself in the whole intention put in my heart by the Holy Spirit to please God. It's the key to all that God has for me And all that I want to offer to him, a sanctified life that's pleasing to him. So we begin each study by raising the banner of love. 
Can I hear an amen? That we are not fighting for God's love. We're not wrestling so that he'll approve of us. What we're doing is we're fighting because he loves us, because he has accepted us, because we're saved. We have a new heart, a new mind, a new desire that wants to please God. And God sees that and God knows that. And God also knows very well, as does our great high priest, the things that we are tempted with and the things that we are suffering and the weaknesses that we have. Jesus encountered all of them. So we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our wrestlings. But God loves us, sent Jesus to die for us, to give us an assurance that we indeed are his, and that's why we want to be sanctified. That's why we want to live holy lives. That's why we want to be those who are loving others as we love him. So the, again, let me stack up the four buildings for you, if you're new or just as a reminder. In the temple, it's the building of sanctification. We are worshipers, and thus we love God. In the home, there's the building of edification in that we are members of, one, of the household of God, and therefore we love one another. Third, the church is a school, which is the building of instruction. We are disciples, and therefore we love the truth. Can I hear an amen? I love the Bible. Do you love your Bible? Do you love truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so we learn truth in order that we might live truth. The final building is the embassy, which is the building of reconciliation. We are ambassadors, and therefore, we are loving the lost. The church is like a little embassy in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but God loves that world. And thus, he sends us out from our citizenship to represent him in a world gone very bad. The temple speaks of God's presence among his people, that God dwells with his people, even in Ephesians, as we read. We are being built together for a dwelling place of God, notice, in the spirit. In 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Watchman Nee said this, quote, I must first have the sense of God's possession of me before I can have the sense of his presence with me. In other words, I have been, I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I belong to God. No one can steal that from me. Nothing can steal that from me. And so we look at the building, the sanctification. We saw three factors in our sanctification. There's the fear factor. God is holy. Woe is me. There is the mercy factor. God sets his, part of peace, his people apart as holy. That was God's doing. And here it is. The factor is God chose me. God chose, I trust all of you. But if not, I, I pray and hope that you will come to that factor of woe is me before a holy God and then realize that God loves you, died for you, and the reason that Jesus died for you is because if he didn't, you would have no hope of knowing that he chose you. And then the third deciding factor, which takes us into our study this morning, is the deciding factor. God says to us, be holy, be holy, even as I am holy. So the deciding factor really is, am I going to be transformed? by the renewing of my mind, or am I going to be conformed to the world? So when it says transformed by the renewing of my mind, I need input. 
I need good in that there might be good out. First Peter, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance. God's word enlightens us. God's word tells us truth. It takes us from what our, what our musings may be to what they should be according to the truth of the word of God. He says, for as he has called you as holy, you also be holy in your conduct. We need a change of mind leading to a change of conduct by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the call to holiness is a call to worship. Worship in experiencing the blessings and joys of intimacy with God. Worship in living free from the weight and burden of sin. Worship in becoming all that he created us to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he writes, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Who did that? God did it all. He is doing that process, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's worship. So the temple is a place where worshipers gather. What is worship? The Greek word comes from two words, towards and to kiss. So worship means to make, to make, uh, rever- to do reverence. It means to kneel down. It means an act of homage or reverence to someone. In the Bible, there's many that many things the Bible says people worship, but number one on the list and only one is God. Not man, not idols, not any other thing. When the end comes in this world, they're going to be worshiping the Antichrist. They're going to be bowing before the Antichrist. They're going to be doing homage to the Antichrist. Are you not thankful that you are now understanding and doing homage to the Christ, the true and living God? In fact, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what life is about. That's where worship comes from. Now, a living definition is found in John chapter 4 where Jesus met the woman at the well. Ten times in very short passage, the word worship, the same word comes up. It's used 60 times in the whole the New Testament. So ten times this little encounter that Jesus had with that woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Is that not fantastic? Now in the context of the story, this woman at the well was exposed for her sin by Jesus. She said, you're a prophet. Now, my people say we should worship here, and the Jews say here, but what do you, Jesus, no, no, it doesn't. The hour is coming when it's not the place. It's a focus on the person of Jesus Christ, and it's a focus on me as his worshiper. The place is not what we're talking about when we talk about worship. Worship is the presence of God. In spirit, in a sanctified heart, that is truth. Worship is a supernatural reality. In spirit, in a sanctified heart, truth. 
Worship is not what you act like, sound like, or look like. Are you not happy as far as the look like? That's not worship. Worship is not the position of your body or the vibrato of your voice. Worship is not because I have skills and talents and can play music. Worship is not what others say of you or what others say of me. It's what God sees in you and sees in me. Am I a worshiper? Do I worship God? Jesus said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, the religious leaders. Now they were looked at as being the worshipers. As is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in, wor- in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, if I'm going to worship God, I better know what God says, not what man seems to think it should be. Or what man thinks is okay in the sight of God. That was the problem with religion. They were hypocrites. They didn't even see it. And they'd excuse all kinds of behavior and, and nail down on the gnat. And Jesus said, you don't get it. You don't see it. You're not worshiping God. You may say that, but where's your heart? Matthew chapter 15, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, God, help me in my hypocrisy. Help me in my own lawlessness. We want to look at what it takes to be a worshiper this morning. But these are the facts. These are the truths that Jesus says. It's a heart matter when it comes to worship. It's the presence of God in my heart. Samuel had his eyes on the outward appearance of all of David's brothers. And when he got through all of them, God said, none of them are the one that I've anointed, none of the ones that I've chosen. He said, now, Samuel, don't you look on the outward appearance because I look on the heart. I think of King Herod, who said to the wise men, go and find the child so that I may come also and worship him. Do you know what was in his heart? Not to worship him, to murder him. And Jesus brought this out in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it's been said this, this, but I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust after, if you hate your brother. Recently, many of us were stunned to hear of another dear brother and pastor who became a casualty to Satan's devices to think that somehow or some way my heart can't deceive me. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of worship. Worship is the presence of God in a sanctified heart. Worship is the supernatural reality that comes from a sanctified life. A worshiper knows the need for the power of the Holy Spirit and the perseverance of his heart. A worshiper understands sacrifice and service. That sacrifice and service begins with God for us. That sacrifice and service invites us to participate with God, listen, 
in us. And then that sacrifice and service commands a sanctified life of us. Those are all the elements of worship. It begins with God who is for us. He invites us into this realm to participate with God in us. That's worship, the heart. And then it commands a sanctified life of us. You see, I can't be saying I'm walking with God and fellowship with God and worshiping God if there's something in my heart that needs removing of unholiness and uncleanness. So a worshiper embraces the call to consecration. A worshiper embraces the call to character. A worshiper invites the call to communion with God. Now, a worshiper also perseveres in the condemning and cleansing of sin. Here's the best quote that I've read on worship by a guy named William Temple. As defining worship, he said, worship is the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God. Worship is the feeding of the mind with the truth of God. Worship is the purging of the imagination by the beauty of God. Worship is the opening of the heart to the love of God. And then worship is the devoting of the will to the purpose of God. Is that not a fantastic quote? In this study, and we were, you know, I'll tell you, one of the most difficult things is a topical Bible study, particularly for me, because I gather so much stuff, and then I don't know what to do with it. So I have, you know, 50 pages, but I only can do five. And what, what's been always on my mind this whole area of the temple, and I want to do that this morning with you, is look at the five main offerings in the book of Leviticus as a picture to us of what it means to approach God and worship God. In these, these uh, sacrifices, by the way, do you know that the book of Leviticus was the first book that a Jewish child would learn to read? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? I mean, most people begin, they don't get past maybe the second chapter. It's like one of the books, well, it was the first book. Why? Because it gave instruction to the Levites as to how the people could approach and worship God. That should be number one on our list. Not necessarily the book of Leviticus, although I would encourage that. And by the way, you who are leading home groups or any of you, if you want, I'll send you my, bio, my two studies on Leviticus and the, and the feast. I think you'll find them fascinating. There is so much in them. And as you read and study these, then you begin reading the book of Leviticus, all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is fantastic, as is all the word of God. Can you hear an amen? amen? So the tabernacle and then the temple was to be the center, both literally and figuratively, of the national life of Israel. And it was placed in the center to worship God and approach God and have the presence of God right there for them. In Exodus, Israel is redeemed and established as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. In Leviticus, Israel is taught how to fulfill their priestly calling and their holy testimony. That's what we're going to talk a little about this morning. Now, notice the people had already been redeemed. We are saved by the blood of Christ, redeemed by Him. But now we need instruction. We need to understand the principles and the, and the things that God teaches about what does it mean to approach Him. What does it mean to worship him? 
I'll tell you two words, sacrifice and service. Sacrifice and service. In Exodus, God's redemption and deliverance. In Leviticus, his dedication and service. Leviticus served as a handbook. God gave very clear instruction as to the regulations for a person to approach and worship him. Here's Leviticus in a nutshell. Verses one through, uh, chapters 1 through 16, the way to God through sacrifice and priestly mediation. Leviticus 17 through 27, the walk with God, and that is sanctification and obedience. It has been said that it took only one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Brothers and sisters, maybe you feel like it's been 40 years. In fact, maybe it has been 40 years. God ain't done yet. You are His. He has set you apart as holy. He has said to you, be holy. And as we shared last week, every morning, His mercies are new. We have the mercy seat, Christ, as our place of meeting God and approaching God. And if we understand the sacrifices and understand the offerings, we get it. We understand. Here's what God's calling us to. Consecration character, and communion. Condemning and cleansing sin, a commitment to that, that is worship. That's what we talk about in approaching and worshiping God. Now, these sacrificial offerings have three things. Number one, they're a type of Jesus Christ and a description of his sacrifice for us. First and foremost, Jesus came and he fulfilled them, each and every one of them. Secondly, they're a type of Jesus Christ, but they are a pattern for our own approach to God in knowing him and worshiping him. And third, they provide the way to make and keep a relationship with God current, present, fresh. Now, I can't even scratch the surface this morning with you. But let me share just a few thoughts from these five sacrifices. I've given you five C's. Consecration, character, communion, condemning, cleansing. Consecration is the burnt offering found in Leviticus chapter 1. It speaks of a surrender of, a surrender of the whole offering to God. Nothing for anyone else. The whole thing is God's. So the burnt offering speaks about it's a picture of Christ in his perfection. Jesus in his free will laying his life down. Identifying the laid hands on the sacrifice. Jesus, the pictures that we have here of Christ, fulfilling these things for us in the flesh. As he offered himself, as it were, a burnt offering to God as a substitute. We have in the offering examination, laying that wood in order. Oh, boy, does that speak volumes. God laid upon him the cross. It had an order to it. God was doing something and fulfilling what was necessary for you and for me. Christ fully consecrated to God with his life. Accomplishing God's will. Accomplishing what the Father had sent him to do. Perfectly, completely, totally. Now how about our own approach to God? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the perseverance of my heart is that my life would be completely consumed in the will of God. 
Consumed in my surrender to God. That's worship. Consumed in my commitment to God. That's worship. The offerings of consecration require the power of the Holy Spirit and the perseverance. Work out your own salvation for it's God who's working in you both to will and to do of what pleases him. There is an intention that comes along with being a worshiper. You have character in the grain offering, Leviticus chapter 2. In the grain offering, the whole of the offering was for God and the priest. So it's a picture of differing degrees of resources for service because the grain offering had no blood in it. It speaks of Jesus as a, as his, in his life in living a perfect life, not in his death. So fully consecrated. And then the living Christ living his life perfectly. It says there what's to be rejected. There's to be no leaven in living our lives. Sin. There's to be no honey in this offering. Why? Because what we need is the sweetness of Christ because we don't have it. There's to be no blood because the service is a response to the blood already given for us. And there's to always be salt on this offering. Why? Preserving that offering for God's glory. That what I'm doing is preserved and not burned up. And so it's a picture of Jesus Christ in his life lived for us, sinless and self selfless. The fine flower, his sinless humanity and moral perfections. Do you get the picture? We go from a fully consumed life for the will of God to a living sacrifice to, full, to, to live his life out, that it would be a pleasing aroma to God. And by the way, the first three sacrifices were all pleasing aromas. And not only that, they were all voluntary. They were voluntary. Consecration is voluntary. Character. A life that's lived in a growing character of Christ is voluntary. It's our choice. Now, it speaks again of the pattern for us in approaching God is that we, he has given to us the resources by which we can serve him. He is not asking us for what we don't have. He's saying, take what I've given you and serve me. Live for me. There's a certain, in the, in the, in the picture in the offering, a certain degree of readiness. There were those that would come Fully baked, but some were hardly baked. Now, how do you feel? Do you like, feel like you're half baked? <laughs> you see, when I come to serve God, I have to realize I'm not in the same place you might be. There's a certain readiness, but God's saying, serve me anyway. I love the story of Peter. He denies the Lord, and then God, Jesus comes back and restores him there on the lake. On the lake. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, you know I love you. Two different words for love. One was a fully committed, I'll die for you kind of love that he had boasted about. And the other is, well, I like you because, I love you because you love me. Sort of a brotherly give and take. So Jesus said, do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter, with the love that you said you loved me? But yet you said you'd die for me. And what did you do? You denied me three times. And I knew that you would, Peter. In fact, when Peter denied him the third time, what gets me every time is that Jesus looked at him. Right after he had 
denied him the third time. The rooster crows. I know that Jesus was not looking at Peter like, you know, Peter, I told you. I mean, if you just listen to me. I mean, I told you you were going to deny me. I know you. He looked in Peter's eyes with a love broken for him. As Jesus is going down the Via Della Rosa to the cross, the women are weeping over him. Jesus said, don't weep for me. Jesus was broken on the cross that we might know his love for us. Peter thought he was in a certain state of readiness. He was far from that. Jesus restores him. And what does Peter do? I love this. Peter's right back to his old self. He says, now, Jesus, what about John? What about him? And Jesus said, don't you worry about him, okay? You just go and do what I told you. He restored him by saying, Peter, you know what? You blew it. I can't use you anymore. You're not going to be able to serve me anymore. You know, Peter, I love you. I knew right where you were at. And each of us are at different places in our work, walk with the Lord. We're at different places of readiness for certain service. But here's the deal. Serve God. Serve him anyway. Again, there are things in serving God that cannot be a part of serving God. Sin. My own sweetness. You know, someone once said, the vessel tastes a little too much of the person. You know, you just get the tainting of the person who's there talking about God. You see, God expects us to serve him. He's given to us every means by which, all the resources. He's saying, hey, serve. Be a living sacrifice. And the offerings of character require the power of the Holy Spirit and the perseverance of the saint. The third offering is the peace offering, and this represents communion with God. It's an offering of sharing and fellowship. The whole of the offering shared was by God, priest, and worshiper. There's a sweet fellowship that came through this offering. It was much like the burnt offering with this exception. The worshiper received some back by which they could fellowship with the Lord. So that communion that's ours, in fullness of joy with God, Jesus made peace with God at the cross. Jesus opened up fellowship with God when the veil was rent in two, and we were ushered into the very holy of holies, there to fellowship with God through his blood shed. His sacrifice is the sole basis of any fellowship that anyone will ever have with God. And God made it so clear. He gave the tabernacle with the veil. He gave the temple with the veil. And as long as that first part of the tabernacle was still standing, it was an indicator from the Holy Spirit that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Thus, we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. It goes in the presence of the veil. We have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, are you taking advantage of that? If we would be a worshiper of God, even as Pastor Chuck Lynn was saying, we better be investing in things that appreciate. Spending time in prayer in his presence. Spending time in worship in his presence. Spending time in the word, me and him, and that's all. Have you found at least a tasting of what Pastor Chuck was talking about. I wouldn't trade my devotional life for anything. 
Oh, how quickly our devotional time gets yanked out from the calendar. Why? Because because the devil knows that if we're not in fellowship with God, we're going to be weakened. We're going to be experiencing things that, that God would say, hey, come. Let me strengthen you. Let me sustain you with my righteous right hand. Let me show you my power in fellowship with you. You know, it happens in human relationship. You might be feeling worn down and tired out. You might be discouraged. You might be on the brink of doing something disastrous. And someone who comes along loves you and you just talk with them for a half hour, hour, maybe a couple hours. You spend the weekend with them at a men's retreat. And by the way, can I put in a shameless plug? I think every one of you guys should be there this, this Friday night and Saturday. If you can't come Friday to Paul, come up Saturday afternoon or morning rather. Because it's so important that we have in human relationship that building up and edifying and strengthening how much more with God. And that's what he desires is that fellowship with him. The fourth sacrifice and the fifth is a worshiper persevering in condemning sin in the flesh and cleansing sin by forgiveness. And the two sacrifices are a little different. That first sacrifice is a picture of Christ dying for sin, the problem of sin, the sin nature. We don't have time this morning to get into this, however I would love to. But I encourage you, read Romans 1 through 8. Read Romans 6, our new relationship to the law. Romans 7 has a new relationship that we have with Christ and the freedom. And then Romans 8 is the glorious chapter of life in the spirit. And as we learn how to reckon the old man dead, it's a position that we have in Christ because he died for sin once for all. The sin nature conquered and put to death. And then the second sacrifice... The trespass offering has to do with particular sin. So, right there, it names several. So we must, as 1 John says, come and confess our sins. Come to Christ, through Christ, and God will cleanse us of sin. Glorious pictures. God sent Christ to die for sin. He sent him to die also that we might be continually cleansed. How? Through confession and forgiveness. Fabulous. So 1 John says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. Now, John would not say, brother, I write these things that you may not sin. In Romans you'll find, shall we sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. It's not a license to live in sin. It's the liberty so we don't have to. And Romans instructs us in that. So in 1 John, he says, I write these things that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father. God is for us, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. It's amazing what we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. Condemning and cleansing of sin. So when these were offered, it was a sin or trespass offering, followed by the burnt offering, and then the peace and grain offering. Here's the deal. First, sin has to be dealt with. If we're going to worship God, sin has to be dealt with. 
both the problem of sin and particular sin. Secondly, the worshiper then commits himself to consecration for God. And that's what happens. He sets us free. And all of a sudden, when I ask for forgiveness, what I should be receiving then is a new, fresh desire to live in a life, a life that pleases God. And followed third then by fellowship. Fellowship between the Lord and our high priest in worshiping him. That's a little synopsis of my study. A worshiper embraces the call to consecration, character, and communion. The worshiper perseveres in condemning sin in the flesh and cleansing of the sin through forgiveness. So worship is, I quote again, the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God. The feeding of the mind with the truth of God. The purging of the imagination by the beauty of God. Think on these things, it tells us. Things that are pure and good and righteous. Be renewed in your mind. The purging the imagination by the beauty of God. Fourth, worship is the opening of the heart to the love of God. And then finally, love is the devoting of the will to the purpose of God. That's a worshiper. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Worship him in song one more time and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your word again. Holy Spirit, thankful for your ministry in teaching us all things and bringing to remembrance whatsoever you've commanded us. Holy Spirit, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we want to glorify God. You've purchased us and redeemed us. You've given to us your Holy Spirit. You've called us to worship in spirit and truth. So, Lord, this supernatural work of your Holy Spirit, your presence in us, and then calling us to live sanctified lives of worship. We thank you, Lord. I pray that you would minister this word again to our home groups and leaders. As we consider some of these things, Lord, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds by your spirit. We pray, Lord, again, full, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Please, Lord. Please, work in us, help us to work it out, to see these, <laughs> just a deeper worship exuding from our lives. Let's, let's worship in song.